0: My name is Derek. Uh, I serve as an elder here at Church in the Square. Uh, Today we'll begin our Advent series, God With Us. Advent, which means arrival, is a time of year that we as a church world of Christians wait on the arrival of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, to be born. For some, this typical December Sunday where we hear familiar Bible verses that may feel like the same thing each year. Wait. Wait for Jesus to be born Throw some real-time context, some local flair, or some random elder preachers' experiences on it, and you get another Advent sermon series. But this year is a whole year past last year. Don't let the season and tradition steal the opportunity to refine your spirit this Advent season. For some, we aren't quite sure about Advent, aren't quite sure how to navigate our time, our energy. Maybe we haven't used this time in the past or even been presented with using this time to reflect upon when Jesus was born into the world, and so we fill the days, hours and minutes with Yule logs, weird calendars, winter-flavored mochas, Mariah Carey, tree decorating, and endless parties where you get to wear that one piece of green velvet you own. But this year, take time to reflect on what the coming of your Savior means— dig into the study guide and frame this season about a savior. See, Advent is really the one time of year where the Christian world and the secular world collide. We all know this collision happens right after Thanksgiving because that's when you're allowed to put up a Douglas fir, listen to a legendary Christmas, sip some eggnog, Starbucks changes their cups, and every mass email you've ever unsubscribed from is somehow now in your inbox. Telling you to buy something you don't need or give money Away to some organization you're not really sure where they came from. This collision is quick and it happens as naturally as the first post Thanksgiving Chicago freeze. Maybe this collision brings you joy. Maybe it makes you angry. Maybe it's both. It just depends on which eggnog you're drinking. <laughs> All jokes aside, today's a big day for followers of Jesus. Advent has started. And we get to do something we often we get to do something we do so often as followers wait we wait for him to come to be born on christmas to come again we prepare our hearts for whom the prophet isaiah described as the wonderful counselor the mighty god the everlasting father and prince of peace advent is the arrival of king jesus as an infant see the christmas collision and smattering of lights gifts and giving were born out of the long waiting and then arrival of a promised Messiah. So, hang up your lights to resemble the light of the world that come to save us. Give a gift in the remembrance of, of the gift of him that we were given from our Father in heaven. Sing out in worship to the joy of the world that comes December 25th. Offer your material things to those who need. Just like our Savior who needed while he was on earth. Do you see? Lights, gift giving singing and offering what you have been given aren't the powers of the secular world overshadowing the truth of the season the collision isn't a bad thing but what's true is only one side has real power jesus christ emmanuel god with us arrives in 22 days let's take time to seek our hearts about what his arrival to the earth means for our souls this heaven my wife and i Ashley, we have three little kids We've been a part of this body for almost seven years. I'm truly grateful for the ways we as individuals, as couples, have, and as a couple, has, in seeking parenthood, has, and now parents, and as friends, and as members, have been shaped and shepherded within this community. Frankly, I find it hard, if not impossible, to see myself up here today in a group or in my role at work without this body, this community. It becomes difficult to find words to describe how grateful I am. Thank you for showing up, for receiving my family, and for speaking into my life. See, today we're going to talk about family. That's right. And it only seemed fitting to reflect on my family, my church family, my immediate family, my greater family, my heavenly family. The word family comes from a great deal of baggage for me on one side, and a great deal of comfort and wholeness on the other side. It's a word that is used so intimately yet so broadly. Family. I'll say it again. Family. You might have just felt a rush of hotness down your spine because just the words puts you into the fight. You might have just sat deeper in your chair and your clothing felt like it gave you a big hug because the word delivers comfort and joy. Family. You might use this word for those whom you share blood with. You might use this word for those whom you don't share blood with but the word exemplifies exactly the role they play in your life. Our families hold stories, our families hold weight. Our families hold truths, yet they don't define us. They don't get the final say, they can't complete us. What Matthew, who was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus and penned one of the four biographies, or as they're referred to, gospel accounts of Jesus, wants to make blatantly clear in the start of his gospel, in this genealogy, is that your family isn't the whole story. Jesus' family wasn't the whole story either. He was. He is. He is to come. So today, as we enter into the first Sunday of Advent, we'll structure our time like this. The truth of Jesus' family, the nature of Jesus' family, and the beauty of Jesus' family. In today's world, we have few ways to be known, or be read up and down, or be valued or given legitimacy. A resume is one of those ways. We sit down, we think of all we have done in our vocations and make Sure, it's clear how good we were. We open up a Word document on one side of the screen, a Google thesaurus on the other side of the screen. We pick the best words that encapsulate attributes and abilities so that some middle manager or algorithm will sort out what what is worthy or unworthy of receiving of an actual human interaction or interview at the position you applied for. As a middle manager, this drives me nuts. Why would a piece of paper that was self-curated and self created, be used as the reason an actual person should or should not get spoken to. Yet it's often the way, yet it's the way of the world, is it not? This resume says something about you, but barely scratches the surface of whom you actually are. What you offer, your abilities, your strengths, your weaknesses, we actually need to meet to get to know each other and be in proximity to any person to actually know whom they are. A resume is a poor way to make a judgment on any of us. During ancient times, especially in the first century, Jewish homes, the same thing was true, but it wasn't self-curated. It was your genealogy, or your family of origin, the order of your birth, and whom you were birthed to. Who was your father? Who was your grandfather? The family and the family name you were born into defined you. It offered legitimacy, it offered rights, it offered inheritance, and a person's heritage. You were born into a name and a class that defined somewhat of the path forward. This is where monarchies are still found, where societal class systems were built on. You're born into a family of fill in the blank, and this is what their father was, what their mother was, their brother or sister was or was not. What's different here is that you can't use a thesaurus to rewrite the Uncle Bob's of the world or add some extra special Auntie Julie's to the family tree. You can't just move away and start over or take a new job that redefines you or find a significant other that rewrites your surname's history. Your family of origin holds truth and weights that also make you, you. Like it or not, your family of origin runs deep within your personality and being. Trust me, I've fought it. So when we read the names in Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17, like Abraham, Judah, Boaz, Obed, Jesse, David, Asaph, Josiah all the easy ones we should know that this prophetic family tree wasn't by mistake Jesus was born into some baggage Jesus act of grace to be born into a messy family models his kingdom and the creation he is bound to save from Abraham to David to Mary we should take a moment to dive into the players here and see what's going on see at first blush it's a prophetic powerful and righteous bunch the genealogy of Jesus Abraham, Jacob, David, Solomon, Amos, and Joseph are all included in the first chapter of Matthew. Just flip through the Bible a few times. Maybe think of friends' names you have. You'll find these names. But each one of these guys have stories, truths, and make up whom they are. None of them could save their people. Think about that. Abraham didn't save God's people. King David didn't save God's people. And neither of them could save themselves. Like you and I and all of God's people, salvation must come through a person, Jesus. Let's look even deeper. Tamar, Rahab, Bathsheba, Ruth, Mary. Sounds just like Jesus' relatives, right? These mothers of Jesus have much to tell us of who Jesus is and why he came to this world. Jesus entered the world through this genealogy, and each member of the tree points to himself And no member is God in the flesh, not Abraham, not Jacob, not David. Jesus arrived in a womb to the Virgin Mary. He arrived, as we all did, into this world through a mother's womb, a womb that carried him and birthed him and needed to care for him as an infant. The mothers of Jesus have a lot to teach us about whom the kingdom of God was coming for. This prophetic genealogy that Jesus writes does something uncommon in its gospel reporting. He mentions the five mothers of Jesus, and most definitely not by mistake. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, or as Matthew writes, the wife of Uriah, and Mary, Jesus' birth mother. The covenants God made with Israel always pointed to a king, a messiah, a savior. The Jewish people assumed this would look a certain way, like the kings and emperors of the time, which included power influence, rule, and reign over Israel, and would come with armies and bloodshed. But what Matthew wants to make clear from the jump in the first few verses is that the kingdom of God comes for all. It isn't just for the prophets. It isn't just for the appropriate bloodline or place of birth. It isn't for a single race. It isn't for a single gender. Jesus, the son of man, arrived for Tamar, Matthew, verse 3. He arrived for Rahab, Matthew, verse 5a. He arrived for Ruth, Matthew, verse 5b. And for Mary, Matthew, verse 16. See, each of these mothers' story expands the radically inclusiveness of Jesus' kingdom. Let's take a look. Tamar, she was a Gentile. That means she was non-Jew. Who slept with her father-in-law, Judah. And Judah was also unjust to her, Rahab. She was a Gentile, meaning non-Jew, and a prostitute, but a faithful servant to God that culturally wasn't accessible to her. Ruth, she was a Gentile, leaves her land to follow God, and he redeemed her away from all she knew and provided for her in a new land and faith. Bathsheba, Uriah's wife, whom David slept with after her husband Uriah protected him when his life was on the line, Mary a virgin who was given the Messiah to carry by the Holy Spirit and was disbelieved of her conception. The radical inclusiveness of the kingdom of God is on full display with these women, and Jesus entering the story after them includes them in his kingdom, his kingdom that is unlike any kingdom this world knew or expected. Unless you have gender outsiders, you have racial outsiders and moral outsiders. To the Jewish readers who expected a true earthly king, these figures would not have been clean enough to get in. Do you see what Matthew, a Jewish tax collector that meticulously wrote this chapter in the Bible and genealogy is doing? Matthew is making sure to bring the full stories of Tamar and Judah to life, not just Judah's bloodline. In verse 6, Matthew says, And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Matthew makes sure we remember King David's and Uriah's full story by leaving off Bathsheba's name. Whom was Uriah's wife? which makes sure to remind us of the betrayal to his friend Uriah as well, as the adultery with Bathsheba. The Messiah was born into this kind of family, a messy slash churchy slash heroic slash outsider slash insider slash Jewish slash non-Jewish family. The truth of Jesus' family is that salvation is radically available to all who believe in him. Paul says in the book of Titus, chapter 3, verse 4 through 6, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in, his in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The truth of Jesus' family is that no member of the family is left out or marginalized. Take a minute and look around. We aren't a community that looks, acts, functions, and is the same. We aren't punched from a single mold and have fallen into our respective church shares. We aren't all God's people. We are all God's people. We are all included because Jesus arrived and offered us redemption from the exclusivity. We weren't pushed into the cold or required to get a DNA check in order to, do, to worship. He welcomed us in our trespasses and sins, in our separation and mess. He said, come to my family and be healed from the world. During Advent, we wait for the arrival. You see it yet? Wait for the kingdom to arrive. The kingdom was born into a messy family, maybe like yours, definitely like mine. But this kingdom doesn't require a fancy resume or clean bloodline. Frankly, this kingdom is for the opposite. It's for those who say, I'm not king of my life. I'm not the king of my family, and I cannot save my family. It's for those who have needs and need healing. It's for those who have broken bonds, broken covenants, and broken relationships and confess they cannot fix it themselves. Jesus' messy family offers peace and hope during a time of year that can be painful and difficult to navigate with families, familial roles, and relationships. It offers the truth to your family that the good news is about what is done and not what has to be done. Rest in knowing your family on earth is not where your salvation and eternal wholeness will come. The ultimate rest can be found right now during this season, and I implore us all to take time to consider resting in Jesus, the nature of Jesus' family. I didn't grow up in church. I say that every time I preach. But with an understanding of who Jesus was, And what is kingdom offered? As I began to follow Jesus, I continued to be confronted with my humanness and the fact that I am not God. That may sound hilariously arrogant, but there was a time where I believed I was my own God. I mean, I truly lived and believed that I could, would, and should be able to do anything, and it was all myself, and any walls that were in my way were simply the next thing to run through and get what was mine. This line of thinking and character is something I battle daily. But the more Jesus is revealed to me, I can see that this is a lie. Being your own God actually delivers less than it returns. It returns void at some point because like kings of the past, saving yourself is a futile task to take on. But why, I ask, why can't I just be a good little God of my own life? because I don't hold any power. My soul as a follower of Christ is longing for something different. Once you become a new creation and lay down your will, the soul will battle for souls, and in the battle for souls and his kingdom arriving, there just isn't a need for any more kings because the mighty God and Prince of Peace rules and reigns. The wisdom of Matthew's genealogy is in this understanding the foundation Matthew is laying in the first verses is even, the, is even that through this prophetic family tree that all the makings of greatness, it fell short, and it needed something more powerful to arrive in order that it may be redeemed and made whole. The foundation of the genealogy was always Jesus himself. Let's take a look. He was in the beginning when Jesus was with the word, John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, the word was the in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, in, he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus was with Abraham when God promised Sarah would conceive a son, and that son would be Abraham's offspring. Genesis 17, God said, No, but Sarah your wife will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. He was with David during his time as a shepherd, as a king, and an author of 73 psalms. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff they come from me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He was with the Virgin Mary as the Spirit conceived a child. Luke one27 through twenty eight, and, Mar- and the Virgin's name was Mary. And he, the angel Gabriel, came to her and said, "Greetings, O favored one! The Lord is with you." Jesus was always with his family. Each member we learned about needed each member we've learned about needed him, regardless of where they showed up on the timeline. They needed a savior, a promise to be fulfilled. The nature of Jesus' family reflects and exposes the truth of a creation's inability to save itself. And not just from tough times or difficult relationships, but from death. You see, the nature of his family isn't about restoring and making right in this moment right now. It's about the eternity and the ages to come where a new city comes down and dwells on earth and we have no sickness, or plight, or sin, or shame, but we have complete unity with God himself in a new body made whole. Being adopted into Jesus' family gives you power, unlike earthly powers that are built all around money, fame, fortune, and influence, and status. The power is in himself, the power is himself and spirit. The Holy Spirit, the spirit of the living God, the wonderful counselor dwells in the hearts and minds of his family here today. Now, if we aren't careful, We can arrive at Advent and use this season as the only time as truth and power shine through. The Advent collision, Dr. Tim Keller calls it, is happening all around us. say it again. The Advent collision that's happening all around us is everyone is accepting a little more religion than normal. We might say here the real reason for the season, so we finally give. We finally talk about faith to the family member we always keep at 30,000 feet. Or we throw our righteous Christian blazer on and we scoff at the consumerism of it all and speak boldly against how people pile on debt to make Christmas feel special or arrogantly roll our eyes at the home's decked from roof to sidewalk and lights. Now isn't the time to arrogantly hold on to this power and wield it like little kings. Like each day as a follower of Christ, it's a season to remember why you have the power in the first place. It's a season to humbly lay down the makings of the year, and with thanksgiving and supplication, reflect on the work Jesus accomplished through you and in you to be here today. It's the time to rest in the truth and beauty that you hold and your family. didn't have to be extra good or super awesome or uniquely important this year to receive the arrival of Jesus. He will arrive no matter what. It's not on you to make Christ arrive. It's not on you to save. He arrived in real time so that the world could see God more clearly, so that each tribe, nation, and tongue could experience the fullness of life and wholeness of self that is offered in a heavenly family. The gap in a secular world is trying to close at this time of year because the whispers and the power of a true king coming are real. And the hands and feet are operating in a dark world as lights that resemble who's to come, Jesus Christ. What we've seen throughout the first 17 verses of Matthew is not just a group of names placed in an order that reveals a, fam- a familial tree. We can see the inclusive nature of Jesus' family. Do you see this? The family tree wasn't about glory or best in class. It was about people. It was about human souls, Abraham, Tamar, Solomon, Rahab, David, Bathsheba, Joseph, and Mary. Let us be a community to live this radically inclusive example. When strangers walk in and welcome them as part of the family. When we see sin show up in our brothers and sisters' life, press in. Remind them of the truths of Jesus himself. When someone shows up with questions, concerns, or disagreements, let's meet them on the road they're traveling on without judgment— and make sure to point them to the kingdom of Jesus. Let's not assume we know or have it all figured out. Let's go together to see how Jesus says to live and act. Let's not be afraid to be wrong, to say the wrong thing, to mess up, or to fail. The nature of Jesus' family is to reflect and share that as created beings we cannot save ourselves, but someone will arrive that can. And the one who arrives will bring power to change hearts and minds, and. Of all those who enter His family through Him, and He is King. The beauty of Jesus' family. Matthew, a Jewish man, knew the weight King David held in God's story. He knew the importance of King David's place in the genealogy. That he structured it grammatically to expose that the Davidic throne always belonged to Jesus. Matthew, who collected taxes for the Romans from his Jewish people, whom were ruled by the Romans, went deep into the numbers here to direct our attention directly to Jesus, and that who Tim Keller, in his book The Hidden Christmas, calls the ultimate rest, whom all rest and Sabbath are found. Matthew uses a grammatic structure called gematria, where each letter is given a value. I had to learn about this, to be clear. David added up in Hebrews, equals 14. David is the 14th name in this genealogy. Matthew 17 says, from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Furthermore, when Jesus arrived, there had been six sevens of generations making Jesus the beginning of the seventh generation. Tracking with me? Jesus is the beginning of the seventh generations of seven generations. What do we know about the seventh day? And then number seven in our scripture. In Genesis 1, it says, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. He, God, rested after making the heavens and the earth and everything that dwells in it. The Mosaic Law tells farmers every seven years to let the field and crops go dormant, so that they had time to replenish its nutrients and be, and be restored. Leviticus 25, 3-4. For six years you shall sow your field, and for six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its fruits. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. Are you tracking with me still? Also in Leviticus 25 we are told... where it gets interesting that the last year of the 7th period of 7 years the 49th year would be a jubilee so Jesus the 7th of 7 generations to arrive would be arriving in a jubilee during a jubilee the law stated that debts were forgiven land was given back sojourners could stay for free and all the people would have rest from the burdens of the world Matthew desired to write in this format in order to get the attention of his Jewish brothers and sisters who were less likely to believe in a king that would come as a human and not as a God. Matthew did his best to throw everything he had at it in names and in structure and unique order to draw his readers in to actually believe that Jesus was the God, was the God the scriptures had talked about for hundreds of years, that Jesus is the Son, Jesus is the Christ the Son of Man, the Son of David, the Savior of the world, the Jubilee, our ultimate rest. So what's the beauty? It's not the math. It's the fulfillment of a promise. The beauty of Jesus' family is that they can all be redeemed, each one of them. Yes, believe it or not, each one of Jesus' family members and each one of your family members can be too. As far away as that may seem, my guess is there's no one farther away than King David was. David was a king and favored by God. We read in the Old Testament, God's anointed one is described in for Samuel, but for all David's glory, he fell short. Slept with Bathsheba, not his wife, Uriah's wife. Matthew one through six, and then David orders Uriah to be killed after he had committed adultery with his wife. Uriah was also one of David's mighty men, which protected him and fought for his throne. They were probably friends. Then Bathsheba gives birth to Solomon, and it's through Solomon, the son of Bathsheba and David, that the son of David arrives on Christmas. Yeah, it's complex, but can you see the beauty? The beauty of a father who sends a son to not rule and reign with crowns and parades and followers and materials of this world, but to redeem the hearts and minds of all those who fall short. Those who miss the mark, all those who need rest all those who need healing, all those who are poor, all those who need hope. A king that redeems gives his people everlasting life. Do you see how God's story isn't just about a specific group or heritage or people or color or ethnicity or race? Jesus came through this genealogy to give us a truth that his kingdom is wide open for all those who call him Lord of their life. No one in this family had the power to reconcile and redeem themselves. Don't be fooled here. It's not the arrival of Jesus into the world that took our sins away. After he arrives, he still needs to be raised by a family, learn to walk, talk, make friends. He still needs to teach, heal, and model how we should live. He still needs to experience the human emotions we feel day in and day out, joy, anger, frustration, celebration, sadness, excitement, anticipation, a thousand more that we as creation experience. Jesus still needs to go to the cross. He still needs to ask for it to not happen. He still needs to be the atonement for all his family members. All his family members' brokenness. All their faults and mistakes. And he'll do this for his family, for you and for me. For your family, for my family, for this family, for this body. And after he goes to the cross and is laid in the tomb, he'll rise on the third day and ascend to the right hand of the Father where he rules and reigns today. So through Advent... So, though Advent is a time to wait, to anticipate the coming of someone, we live in a day where we have him. Be so bold this year to share why you follow Jesus Christ. Be so bold this year to take a backseat to your Savior. Be so bold this year to sit with someone who's trying to save themselves. So, as we anticipate him to come, take time to sit in your Savior's arrival to this world and find rest and healing in him. He's the ultimate rest. His hustle is calm. His yoke is easy. His grace is enough. He's the redeemer of all people and his family. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, it's no mistake that you've woven a story that we can look at and see parts of our story, our family's story, those around us story and say in some capacity, God, that I can recognize, I can see that. It's so surprised, God, that you've woven this together for us to use and learn from God. Thank you for sending your son. God, give us time this season to rest and find peace and comfort in you. God, let us to lay down the hustle of the spirit And sit with you, Lord, and find you in the moments and the calm and reflection. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.